0: Today is August 19th, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake, and we're going to pick back up in our story uh, in Esther chapter 4, and we're going to read through chapter 7. Uh, as a reminder, yesterday we were kind of left on a cliffhanger, and uh, the king here is going to uh, go up against Yahweh. Uh, the the one, one Jewish person didn't bow down before one of his high officials, and so that high official came to the logical conclusion, we should kill them all. And the king was like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. So as we've seen in scripture so far, it usually doesn't go well when other kingdoms try to take on Yahweh. But we will see what happens here. Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on bird lap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter well. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the providences, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hatech, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hattich went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hanath a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hattach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hattach to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hattach returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hattach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the providence know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hattach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So, Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Moving on to chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. So, she's taking a really big risk here. Remember how Esther became queen in the first place. Uh, The king was drunk and asked his queen to come show off her beauty, and she's like, No, I'm not going to be objectified. And so, he made the logical conclusion that she needed to be banished from the kingdom. And that's what he did. And then so Esther comes in after uh, a year of beautification before she's even invited to the king's room. And evidently the king liked Esther enough to make her his new queen. And so this same king, the same really arrogant fellow, is now about to kill Esther's people. And Esther is going to walk in unannounced into his throne room. So we'll see what happens. Moving on, verse 2. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in his inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. It's good news. That means she's not going to get killed. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, Tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet, as Esther had requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet, and while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Esther replied, this is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet, and I will prepare for you. To the banquet, I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. So she's buttering up the king really good. She's invited him to two banquets now. Verse 9. Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet, but when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Hammond became furious. Again, this fellow is real arrogant and proud of himself. Verse 10. However, he restrained himself and went on home. Oh, wow, you restrained yourself. Great job, buddy. Then Hammond gathered together his friends and Zerush, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many... Children. I'm going to gather all my friends together to tell them how great I am. Oh, boy. Continuing on, verse 11. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, And that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, But this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. So Haman's wife Zeresh and all his friends suggested set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning asked the king to impel Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. Moving into chapter 6, verse 1. That night the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bignetha and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. His attendant replied, nothing has been done for him. (laughs) So this is hilarious. The king's top official uh, is wanting to impel Mordecai and, uh, you know, coincidentally obviously there's no coincidences. This is what happens when you take on Yahweh. Things happen that you can't even account for. Uh, Mordecai, or the king exercese can't sleep and so he wakes up has his record book read to him and he realizes Mordecai the same guy Haman wants to impel actually deserves to be rewarded verse 4 who is that in the outer court? the king inquired as it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impel Mordecai on the pole he had prepared (laughs) what wonderful timing verse 5, so the attendants replied to the king Haman is out in the court "'Bring him in,' the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, "'What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me?' Haman thought to himself, "'Whom would the king wish to honor more than me?' (laughs) So he replied, "'If the king wishes to honor someone,' and mind you, he's thinking that he's talking about himself. Verse 8, "'He should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials.'" and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the city gate of the palace, leave out nothing you have suggested. Ooh, beautiful plot twist. Verse 11. So Haman who thought he was going to uh, impel Mordecai, is now going to do this. Verse 11. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placed him on the king's own horse and led him through the city square, shouting, This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. You can imagine the shouting was not very loud. <laughs> Verse 12. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Hammond hurried home, dejected, and completely humiliated. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is one of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. Moving in chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous? As to touch you. Esther replied, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where king, Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impel Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impel Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impelled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. (laughs) What happens when you take on Yahweh? Haman thought that he would get all of the Jewish people killed. He thought that he would get Mordecai impelled. And without a single weapon used by the Jewish people, Haman is the one who ends up dead. In fact, he ends up on the pole that was intended for Mordecai, a theme that runs throughout the Bible. Remember in Genesis, at the end of the book, uh, Joseph saying, what you intended for evil, God has turned to good. What Mordecai, or sorry, what Haman intended for evil, to impel Mordecai, God used for Haman's own fall and Mordecai's actual success. This is what our God does. And yet many of us take on Yahweh. We think we know better. We think we are um, in charge. We think our wisdom is greater than the wisdom of God's wisdom. I'll just tell you, throughout scriptures, it never worked out well. And uh, maybe it'll work out for you. I don't know. You can try. But for me, I'm going to repent. I'm going to lay down my crown, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make him my king, and I want to listen to what he says. And if I believe this book... Uh, Spirit-inspired is telling me to uh, stand on my head for 24 hours and I'm gonna do that thankfully doesn't say that but the point is I'm I'm going to obey Jesus in all of life to the best of my ability because I believe he is the King and I don't want to go against him and by the way my sin which I still do because I'm not perfect uh, makes me an enemy of God but the good news is, is Jesus came and died for me so that because of that I am now made right in the presence of God his blood cleanses me he gives me his righteousness and he gives me his Holy Spirit, which gives me a new heart to want to follow the commands of God, and to actually give me the power to become more and more like Jesus in my everyday life, uh, pleasing to God. Uh, this, this is the good news for those of us who trust in Jesus, uh, that he forgives you for where you have failed, and he leads you and gives you power to repent. Moving on to our New Testament reading. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses one through twenty six. First Corinthians twelve, beginning in verse one. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So, I want you to know that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Why are you gifted? Verse 7, so that you can help each other. That's important. Verse 8, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of god or from another spirit still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts he alone decides which gift each person should have the human body has many parts but the many parts make up one whole body so It is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would it be if it only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable Are those we clothe with the greatest care so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care so god has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other if one part suffers all the parts suffer with it and if one part is honored all the parts are glad that concludes our new testament reading and that is why if you are a new testament christian it's so important that you are a part of a local church. Um, not because you need church, but because your church family needs you. You are a part of the body. You have a gift. You have a skill. As a pastor, I feel like one of my biggest callings is to help people discover their skills so they can begin to live it out because we need each other in the church. We need you. Moving on to our Proverbs of the day, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 21 through 22. Proverbs 21, verse 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life, righteousness, and honor. The wise conquer the city of the strong and, the, and level the fortress in which they trust. Moving on to our psalm of the day, Psalm 36. This is the 36th psalm. We'll be reading it in a posture of prayer. For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, beginning in verse 1. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or do good. They lie awake at night, hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good, and they make no attempt to, return, to turn from evil. Your unfilling love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty, clouds, mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfilling love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Don't let the proud trample me or the wicked push me around. Look, those who do evil have fallen. They are thrown down, never to rise again. God As I close this reading today, I just want to pray a little portion of this psalm. Lord, I thank you that you are the one who feeds me from the abundance of your own house. Through Jesus, I share in the gifts that he rightfully deserves. Letting me drink from the river of the lights. For you, O God, are the fountain of life. The light by which we see. Lord, so I ask you today, please pour out your unfailing love on those of us who love you. And give justice to those with honest hearts. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for today's reading, and hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.